Welcome to another episode of Disciplology, a podcast where we talk about what really works in discipleship. Today, Michael, I have a treat for us. So you're a Texan, I'm a Texan. Today, I'm wearing my Texas socks. <laughs> wow. Today. That is not the treat, is your, <laughs> although it might be for it you. Could be. <laughs> it could be. They are very cozy. We have Tony today from the Texas Southern Baptist Convention. Did I say that right? Close enough. Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. Yeah. There it is. Who is also a Texan. In uh, Texas. However, it should be noted, I think, that even though, Tony, you are, I'm sure you, you know, bleed uh, barbecue and, and uh, enchiladas, mm. you also mm. have uh, like some gumbo in your past, right? So you're an, you're an LSU guy, which yeah, man. Yeah, grew up in year. Baton Rouge and so I'm a transplant to Texas and you just can't get the gumbo out of the blood. I mean, I love it, barbecue and brisket, but I love me some, some South Louisiana Cajun food for I'm, sure. I'm curious to know how you spent the Monday night of the national championship game. <laughs> oh man. Wouldn't you like to know? So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Uh, can I, is that like full disclosure thing? Please. I mean, is it okay to actually say, how many people are listening? No, actually. So my oldest son had a basketball game. His coach was obviously not an LSU Tigers fan and questionably unsaved, but he had scheduled a basketball <laughs> game for Monday night. So I spent the first half of the LSU victory watching my own son play basketball. And then the second half, uh, watching my Tigers, the real Tigers, not the fake Tigers win the victory in New Orleans. Some Come on. Amazing. Amazing game. Yeah, man. Tony, tell us a little bit about what you do for the state of Texas. Sure. So I lead the pastor church relations team. Uh, technically, it's called the director of pastor church relations. And we do a million things. But our main lane is connecting with, encouraging, equipping, resourcing, serving pastors and pastorless churches. So everything that deals with the pastoral office or the elder office uh, and also the deacon office and then churches that are in seasons of pastoral transition. Uh, we serve them as well through interim training and connections, pulpit supply, pastor search committee training, organizational uh, continuity, and those kinds of things. So that's the team I lead. It's about 28 people deep, most of them part-time uh, dispersed throughout the state. And uh, we just connect with and serve local associations and pastors and churches and pastorless churches. This is going to be an interesting conversation, I think, because usually on the podcast, we talk to a a single person that has a single point of ministry, but but Tony in some ways functions a lot like we do here at Lifeway and right. that, that he relates to a lot of different churches with a lot of different church practices uh, with a lot of things in common, but still many, many things uh, culturally and contextually different uh, on a, on a day-to-day basis. So man, I, I think it would be valuable and, and people would love to hear just some, some general things Tony, maybe observations from you in regard to discipleship. So I'm curious to, to know from from your office and your team, are there particular, I, let me ask the first part of the question like this, are there particular struggles that pastors hmm. seem to be having right now in regard to discipleship? Hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I've been encouraged by the language of our churches when I travel around and listen. You know, you, you ask a pastor, you know, for how are you? How is your wife? How's your family? And then how's the church? And uh, there's there's really kind of a fresh stirring. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it a movement yet or not, but uh, among a lot of our churches where the pastor, like if you ask, how's, how's it going? He's not going to say we had X many people in worship attendance or mm-hmm. 
we had, you know, X many people in Sunday school or we're, we're beating budget or missing budget. He's not going to say that. Uh, a lot of them are going to go to straight to uh, discipleship language. So I'll wow. say something like, um, like, oh, we discipled 143 people last year. Hmm. And, and that's just encouraging me because that's their initial thought. Yeah. Uh, instead of, you know, uh, people in the pews and, and, and dollars in the budget, uh, they're going to actual, actual discipleship platforms. Which uh, is a really so different a lot, thing, I think, than, than maybe we would find 10, 15 years ago, right? Yeah, um, and and along with that comes some struggles too, because in in the initial stages of uh, changing metrics, uh, which really this should be two thousand years old, right? I mean, the only right. the only imperative command in the Great Commission is make disciples. Um, but sadly, it's it's not a two thousand year old discussion in our circles. But uh, when 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 the movement is kind of codifying, I, I guess what we what we see struggle with is a codified language. Hmm. Um, so when somebody says, uh, you know, I discipled 143 people or, or our church discipled 143 people last year, that doesn't always mean the same thing yeah, yeah. in one church as it does another church. And uh, so, so the need, I think in the state of Texas, as we lean into discipleship language and, and discipleship platforms is uh, in, in my mind, a codified language, you know, so we're all saying the same thing. We all mean the same thing when we say it. Uh, I see that as so, a challenge for sure. Uh, that man, that's really interesting. Uh, what, what are some of the things you think people mean when they say that I'm guessing for some people, that means we were able to move X number of people from like a worship service experience into some kind of group, whether it's Sunday school or small group or something like that. Are there other things that people typically mean, you think, when they when they say we discipled X number of people? Yes. Um, so I said, I guess it was six months ago or so uh, around a table with some of our our discipleship pastors or whatever they're called in their churches from very large congregations in Texas, room, you know, 18, 20 of us, and just listened to them disagree on terminology for a while. I don't think they even realized that they were saying the same thing, just using, di- using different language, or some mm-hmm. of them were not saying the same thing, but they were using the same language. So uh, for instance, disciple, you know, becoming a verb is a good thing in my mind, except when we consistently use it in the past tense. And by that, I mean uh, our church discipled, X many people really translates into X many people went through our program. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. okay, well, well, what's the program? Well, it's a six month program or it's a six week program. So essentially in our, our disillusionment with a Sunday school program or a cell group program, a home group program, we've, we've, uh, or we're trying to convince ourselves that we solved the problem by creating another program mm-hmm. and pushing people through it. Whereas discipleship as a verb, it sure it has a past tense element, but it's, it's gotta be a continual action. It, it can't be, a checkbox program. I mean, mm-hmm. all of us have to continue growing uh, as we learn to walk closer and closer with Jesus from glory to glory, being transformed to the image of Christ. So uh, yeah, some of them mean uh, we put them through a one-year program. Some of them mean they were in a one-on-one mentorship. Some of them mean, uh, you know, w- they went from being uh, an average guest at our worship services to being an active part of a cell group program. They just mean different things when they say X many people are being discipled. I love the language that you're using there. I think that is so helpful uh, to think about, yes, it is a good thing for moving this from a a noun to a verb, but Mm. it is a verb that should never be treated as past tense. Uh, Mm. Man, it's, uh, I I don't know that there's any, there are many things more refreshing than coming upon 
somebody who is an older saint who's been walking with the Lord for a long time. And to them, they are still walking with the Lord. Like it's, it's still, mm. you know, they just, they still have this sense about them that they're still learning. They're still growing in different ways. They might be 85 years old, but they're still, mm. they're still moving forward in their relationship with Jesus. I really, really do love that. And I think it is, it is helpful. Um, from, from your standpoint, like centralized in the office there, do you, do you typically advocate for any particular definition of disciple or do you find that it's actually a good and healthy thing for, for different churches and different pastors to, to have a somewhat different definition to, to that word according to their process? Mm-hmm. If I have two different answers, one, my first answer is uh, I actually believe it's healthy for us to have different answers. Okay. Uh, you know, not everything in our, in our uh, confessional fellowship that is the SBTC, not everything has to be standardized. Uh, so I, I think it would do us harm probably to come up with a statewide standardized definition and program of discipleship hmm. uh, instead of contextualizing it to each specific every church. You know, Texas is huge, man. I mean, there's, there's so that many different true. kinds <laughs> of people in different walks of life across the state. Uh, what works in one location is not going to work in another location. So I'm not advocating for uh, a standardized um, system or even definition. Uh, so I do think it's helpful for us to, to get together in a room and talk through these things. But I think we can have some big picture yeah. uh, agreements like uh, discipleship is not, I know it's so cliche, but it's not a, a destination. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a journey. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're ongoing, talking about uh, markers of discipleship, you know, 1 John 2, 12 through 14, what does it look like? to actually not just be discipled, but to grow up in the faith, because the goal of discipleship is to grow up in the faith. So how do you know if you're a, a child in the faith or an adolescent in the faith or a father in the faith, to use the language of First John 2, uh, what are those markers and how are we moving people between them? Uh, those are conversations that I think we can have on a high level mm-hmm. to get us all at least speaking the same language, yeah. uh, but how it's implemented in different spots is is different. However, the, the second answer to that same question is that in my particular role, because I relate to the pastor directly, uh, a lot of times the pastor, sadly, uh, is not directly involved with the discipleship programs or implementation. I would argue every pastor is actively involved with discipleship, whether he thinks he is or not. He is producing disciples, That's right. uh, whether they're the right kind of disciples or not uh, is a matter of, of definition and, and destination. But um, but so my particular role, uh, I even call it discipleship when we do mentorships. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I, I mentor about seven to 10 young pastors in their 20s or early 30s in their first or second church every year. And we I have a program, I mean, a programized, systematized uh, set of things that I walk them through. Uh, but but that's a discipleship. I mean, we call it mentorship or we call them cohorts, but it's active discipleship mm-hmm. where we're helping them learn and grow in their skill and in their trade and also in their walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in my particular role, I'm focused more on discipling the pastors yeah. and uh, mentoring the pastors. Uh, so that's kind of what I do in my role. It is. I, I, I've think both parts of your answer are valid uh in in my opinion <laughs> not that you were saying boy i hope Kelly, good. well that's what i was looking for yeah, yeah, i, I was hoping on this call feel validated right. oh so goodness goodness I'm what good. am i going to do if I, yeah i'm sure you're, you're on bated breath thinking uh an, an illustration that we've we've used before and talking about the, the things that we have in common uh 
is, you, you know, you think about it in terms of the human body that, that, um, we, we all have, we obviously look different. We weigh different. You have different color eyes. We have all those kinds of, of things. And, and yet below the skin, we have the same basic structure that makes us up. Uh, it's not dissimilar, I think, to what you're talking about. Like there are these common principles that run throughout what discipleship is. Like it's always going to involve this forward motion. It's always going to involve an element of spiritual disciplines. It's always going to involve, you know, fellowship with the saints that you're not doing it alone. Like these are the core principles of what it means. But there's all different kinds of skin that can be hung on top of those. Uh, and all those different kinds of skin are 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 valid you know, for sure. So true. Tony, is there a specific church out there that is doing this well um, that you have seen? And maybe what are some of their practices? Yeah. Uh, let's see. First, Beaumont. Uh, Chris there is, uh, man, he's doing great. He's actually the pastor and he has led this big shift uh, from what they count and what they measure to actually how they implement strategic discipleship. And uh, man, that's just a that's just a great church to connect with. Uh, so Pastor Chris at First Beaumont and then Lake Point, Rockwall, uh, same thing. It's a large church, but uh, to see a large church get smaller and really effective in moving people through um, discipleship programs, Lake Point's a great example. And then, um, uh, of course, there's there's several more uh, across the state. And I, I hate to even mention some because I know there's some that, that are doing a great job and I if they listen to this, they're going to think, why didn't he mention me? And I'm sorry about that. Uh, but there, there are also several smaller churches that are just really, really doing a great job out there. They're nailing it. Some of them are, are making transitions. I think of my friend Joshua Crutchfield at First Baptist in, Man- in uh, Madisonville, who, you know, to, to start a discipleship movement, to kind of shift the thinking, uh, it's not like you can just come up with a great plan and then cast a vision and implement it on a Sunday morning. And then, oh, look, we're a discipleship oriented church. Uh, I mean, there's some organic things that have to happen. And I really believe that the best way to do that is for the pastor to actually disciple or, or to you know take a, ser- a group of men through a process, a discipleship process, and then uh, help them reproduce disciples uh, and Joshua Crutchfield at First Madisonville has done that. And obviously, I've actually gone and met with several of his men that he's taken through. He takes very small groups, two or three at a time, of men that he either has led to the Lord or who have recently come back to the faith. And he's just, I mean, he's helping them dig deeply into God's Word and apply the practices of Scripture, the rhythms of discipline uh, in their own lives and in their own marriages and homes and uh, I, I think that is going to bear fruit for generations to come. So it's not just large churches. There's some small churches, too, that are doing such a great job. And uh, I'm encouraged by it across the state. I've found that whenever the pastor is excited about something, then the entire church becomes excited yeah. about something. So True. as they get excited about discipleship, then maybe that'll yeah. also help take root. Tony, talk to us a little bit about the Empower Conference that the, uh, the SBTC is putting on. Yeah, so the Empower Conference is our yearly evangelism conference, and uh, man, it's a lot of fun. It's shifted from kind of the old school mindset of um, of uh, you know come kind of like a preachathon and and a bunch of amens and yeah. we go home and there's no change. It's shifted from that mindset over the past four or five years into an equipping conference. So hmm. the whole point is to not just to come and be rallied, although that's certainly part of it. But to get very practical in um, 
and to be equipped and resourced and given tools toward evangelism. So at the Empower Conference, uh, there's a classic session on Monday and people like Herb Rebus and Junior Hill, um, I mean, great, great preachers who just deliver a powerful word and are very, very challenging. Um, and then, uh, of course, we have some next gen. I also lead a next gen cohort. Uh, of pastors, pastors 40 years and younger, and we get together. So we'll have some time with Carrie Newhoff. Uh, and that's going to be a lot of fun. And then, uh, I mean, people like Lecrae are coming and um, we, we just have several great speakers every year. But the whole point last year, we had Jim Cimbala. Uh, but the whole point is not just to come to this large conference with 2,500 people. It's to to celebrate the rallies, but then let's break out into these smaller groups and let's get trained and equipped specifically in some things like interfaith uh, evangelism or ethnic challenges for evangelism or collegiate evangelism and church planting or women's ministry or adoption ministry and evangelism, all those kinds of things, man. Uh, the Empower Conference is awesome. That sounds exciting. I love the focus that it is, that it really is equipping. Like you come here to be sent out. Um, that is somewhat different, I I think, than than what you would find in years past. What a fresh vision, man! That's wonderful, Tony. One of the things you said earlier that really struck a chord with with me about your your buddy that is taking these small groups of men, your pastor friend that is taking these small groups of men, is is the fact that I feel like that one of those common traits of discipleship, uh, regardless of of where it's contextualized, is that it is by its nature a slow process. Um, I know there are times, at least in my life, probably everybody feels this way when it feels like that, like the growth process is accelerated for a period of time. But by and large, it is a, it is, it is not microwavable. It is a slow, slow process. And I think that that can sometimes be uh, a little bit discouraging for people. Like they don't see the immediate results when they start trying to really become a disciple maker. There's no evidence of change that they can see immediately. And I wonder if you just offer a word of encouragement, if you agree with that, uh, about the importance of, of perseverance in these relationships that people that people begin and start up into. Absolutely. Yeah. Discipleship is a long game. I mean, whether it's a program or a pathway or a journey, it's always a long game. There's no quick fixes. Like you said, it's not micro, uh, microwavable. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't frustrate me, but it burdens me when a pastor comes and says something and he's frustrated and he's He's in tears and he needs prayer and he needs help. And he, uh, he says something like, well, I just don't have any men in my church to take the lead. You know, I don't have any qualified men. And I say, brother, I mean, I, you know, I'm feeling for you here, but let me ask you this question. How many men have you intentionally walked yeah. through discipleship and spiritual growth rhythms personally over the past five years? You've been the, you've been the pastor there 10 years. If you don't have any men, it's not their fault. It's your fault. You've you've got to, I mean, go lead somebody to Jesus and disciple them for crying out loud. I mean, if you don't reproduce, who's going to reproduce? Yeah. And so the, the encouragement slash exhortation I'm finding in my tone of voice now, uh, <laughs> the encouragement that I would give is, is if you don't, they won't. Uh, so, so you can't expect your congregation to do something that you're not actively modeling. Uh, and it is a long game. It's a long game that I would read that first John 2, 12 through 14 over and over again, uh, especially where it talks about spiritual children. Man, it is a blessing. It's an honor. It's a joy to be a child in the faith. If you are a new believer and your, your spiritual life is full of wonder and excitement and you just want to sit at the feet of Jesus like the 
deliver Gerasene demoniac and just soak in all of the goodness and the joy of the Savior. Your sins have been forgiven in Jesus' name, John writes. Man, that's awesome. But you can't stay there. You've got to grow up from there. So define some markers and, and come up with some rhythms to move them from spiritual childhood to spiritual adolescence. And spiritual adolescence, John says, is where you're winning victories over the evil one. It says that uh, God's word remains in you and you're strong. Your spiritual adolescents are stronger than they think they are. And, and I wouldn't move too quickly out of spiritual adolescence because you need these notches of victory on your belt of truth as, yeah. as you're just winning victory after victory over sin, death, and hell in your life and your faith is becoming your own. And then from there into spiritual parenthood, uh, you know, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you've come to know the one who's from the beginning. That is, you don't just know God as father, as the forgiver of sin, but you know him in his eternity. Jesus defined eternal life this way in John 17, 3. He said, this is eternal life, that they would come to know you, the one who is from the beginning and the son whom you've sent. And, and it's interesting to me that John puts that uh, in the context of reproduction. He says, you know, I, I'm writing to you fathers. Well, fathers, it just doesn't make any sense to use that terminology unless you're talking about reproduction. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, you, in order to become mature and continue maturing in the faith, you have to reproduce. So, I, you know, I think we get frustrated as a pastor when, you know, 95% of our church is not reproducing. I said all that to say this. But listen, if you have children in the faith, I know you, you want them to be evangelistic. You want them to share their faith immediately. That's an outer, that's, I mean, that's awesome. But if they're not actively, consistently reproducing, uh, maybe you're expecting measures of spiritual maturity out of people who are spiritually immature. Mm. Uh, and and just because they've been a Christian for a long time doesn't mean they're spiritually mature. I mean, that's a great yeah. failure from leadership or appointing leadership in the church that we would equate spiritual longevity with spiritual maturity. Mm. Um, just because you've been a Christian for a long time does not mean that you've matured in the faith. So my encouragement to pastors would be uh, take it slow, be intentional, play the long game, one or two guys at a time. Uh, and, and, you know, just prayerfully trust that God's going to bring the fruit in his time. That's yeah. the joy. That's the win. Let spiritual children enjoy spiritual childhood while you're challenging them towards spiritual adolescence and, and celebrate with spiritual adolescence, the victories they're getting over Satan, the, the word of God, they're hiding in their heart and they're learning how to pray over and activate in their families and in their homes while you're leading them toward reproduction as a spiritual father. And don't let spiritual fathers sit back on their haunches and then digress back into spiritual adolescence. Keep someone before them. Keep uh, giving them pathways and creating environments to reproduce themselves from faith to faith, as scripture says. It's a really, there's, that's a lot, there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said drawn from that passage in first John two. And I, I, I don't know that I have looked at that passage previously through the lens of a description of the long game of spiritual mm. growth, but I think that is so helpful and I'm grateful for it, brother. Thank you very much. Yeah, you've got You're real welcome. passion in your voice. So, I, man, that's good words. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Man, I appreciate you guys. It's, it's been an honor to be on the podcast with you. Absolutely. So, Michael, I met Tony at a ping pong tournament with our president and CEO, Ben Mandrell. You did. My, mm. my role mm. Tell was, me about it. was to talk a lot of trash. Tony's role was to actually beat Ben Mandrell. Okay. And we both delivered. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, thank you for joining us. Um, if you want to send us an email, discipleology at lifeway.com, we would love to hear stories about how your church is doing discipleship well. We would love to get you on the podcast. 
Tony, thank you. Michael, always a pleasure. We'll thank see you. you guys next time. Thanks. Been my joy. All right, guys.